Here, Dewey. What are y'all doing in here? It's called cocaine, and you don't want no part of this shit. Cocaine? What's it do? It turns all your bad feelings into good feelings. It's a nightmare. I'm thinking maybe I'd like to try me some of that cocaine. Second key to success. In this racket is this little lady right here. It's called cocaine. Right. It will keep you sharp between the ears. It'll also help your fingers dial faster. I snorted cocaine for about 15 years. My dumbass. I must have snorted up Peru. I could have bought Peru all the shit I snorted. I started off snorting little tiny pinches. So I know I ain't gonna get hooked. My friends have been snorting 15 years. They ain't hooked. I need a glass of water, I need a credit card, I need a hundred dollar bill. I, I, I got a 20. She'll do. How did all of this trouble begin? Living in America. <laughs> nothing wrong. Nothing wrong at all. You're not in any difficulty, but you're out on bond. No, I'm not. Yeah. Cocaine, 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 Your fans will have read all about this, James. Aren't you concerned about that? No, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned because there's nothing wrong. And what are you going to say to your fans when they ask you some questions about it? I'm going to say I feel good. I was got a brand new bag. It's a man's world. Cocaine is not good for you, and it does not make people act cool. I don't know, man. I was banging seven gram rocks and finishing them because that's how I roll. I have one speed, I have one gear. Go. The women love you when you get out there. Why is that, lady? Well, I'm asking you. Huh? Because well, I look good. You I look smell good. good. I yeah. feel good. And you sing good. And make love good. Oh. Well, there we are. We don't have to ask anybody else. We got that from the source. <laughs> there, there you are. And one time I was making a smoothie, you know, because I, you know, I have, I got like a new, I don't know what kind of blender it is, but it's pretty nice. And I was making like a nice smoothie and I'm fucking coked up, I'm partying, you know, mm. I'm living high on the hog. There's two vests on maybe, right? Um, and I ended up uh, doing coke all night driving a taxi. I was in a taxi, the driver, this dude Luigi, next thing you know, I'm driving the taxi. He's in the back with the hooker. Showed up and banged on the door and Mike Tyson opened it. Like, hey, is it, like, is it cool if I come in? Like, yeah, I could get in here. And then he's like, you got any coke? And I was like, yeah, dude, I have a lot. <laughs> yeah. Episode two, cocaine, cocaina. I am 
am so fucked up on that little line I did. Like, I was electrified. Like, it was 1980s coke. My hairs were sticking up. My pupils were dilated. And all I could taste is a Budweiser in a can. Yeah. And I get in the car, and I'm out there jawing my brains out. I had to hide the fucking coke in the spare tire. What's going, what, you hear something? Like, you know, it was never... <laughs> was he, it was... There'd be a line out. He'd do it. And then it's like, check the closets. It was, it was no good time in between, <sighs> you know, the line and, you know, checking the closet. Well, Cold chain habits, mighty bad. It's the worst old habit that I ever had. Hey, hey, funny, take a whiff on me. Take a whiff on me, take a whiff on me. All you round, take a whiff on me. You want some potatoes? Yeah, how you doing? I, I was just asking if you wanted... We got enough napkins? Yeah, yeah, we got enough napkins. That's enough. That's enough right there. <sighs> what time is it? You know what I used to eat for breakfast? Cocaine. You know what I used to eat for lunch? Cocaine. What'd you have for dinner? Was it cocaine? Holy shit, that's a lot of cocaine. Have you ever seen this much cocaine in your life? That's got to be worth, what, 10, 15,000? Oh, I blew it. I blew that, didn't I? I feel like everything's gonna work out, you know? Because I'm like a machine, you know? Look how fast I'm picking out this yeah. crap, you know? You I'm moving like super fast. I can't even feel my nose. Can I get in here? Do you want to know what's weird? Yeah. That I feel like I should be panicking right uh -huh. now. And I am a little bit, but it's in like a very, very good way. Yeah, but you're not, it's right? It's like a good kind of panic. It's like I feel like I, I want to die right now, but I also feel very, very, very good. Come on, you hops, and listen unto me. Lay off that whiskey and let that cocaine be. Let's do an episode on cocaine today, but uh, my co-host seems to have come down with the coronavirus, COVID nineteen, the Wuhan flu, the old, uh, the old, uh, what you call it, uh, the chink disease, I guess we'll say. Anyways, he ain't here, <laughs> so uh, I got to do this booger sugar episode all by myself. It appears. So, uh, well wishes to him. Uh, there's at least a 50 percent, <laughs> there's at least a 50 percent chance he won't die. So, uh, just keep him in your thoughts and prayers and, uh, yeah. Uh, but today's episode's about cocaine. I have to do it all by myself now. But, uh, man, you know, that's just the way it goes when you're living in the apocalypse, uh, so let's go through a little bit of history. Uh, maybe, maybe you knew it, maybe you didn't know it. Cocaine used to be an active ingredient in Coca-Cola. And it used to be prescribed by doctors. And, uh, you know, things were just way better back then. Lots of people think it's a myth, but it's true that Coca-Cola started out with cocaine as an active ingredient. Cocaine was first used as a medicine that was administered to children and even pregnant women. They didn't know what we know about cocaine, and so they thought it was perfect to put in wine 
And yes, even beverages like Coca-Cola. People have it coming from all sides. Doctors are recommending it for every ailment. It's sold in drinks and drops. On top of that, celebrities of the time, including Queen Victoria and Jules Verne, endorse its use. It's no surprise that more and more cases start popping up where people are just plain addicted. Coca-Cola started getting rid of the cocaine about 1902. That's a couple of years before cocaine was actually prohibited in 1914. While cocaine is no longer used, the coca leaf is still an integral part of the drink. Here's what Coca-Cola did. Coca-Cola seeks out coca leaves with the act of cocaine removed. Using spent leaves, Coca-Cola can still keep their flavor as close to the original as possible. Did Coca-Cola ever try to so take the coca leaves out of their formula? Uh, the yeah, well, it's been reported that the 1985 like new Coke formula that we now know is a famous disaster, that was an attempt for Coca-Cola to remove the coca that was politically problematic. But seriously, like if they, Coca-Cola's using spent coca leaves, what are they doing with all that cocaine? I know some of it goes to dentists for Novocaine, but, uh, you know, questions, questions that need answering. R.I.P. Gandalf. So yeah, uh, <clears throat> cocaine, you know, it's always associated with like the rich party drug, you know, it's like, uh. Marijuana is the cheap drug. Everybody can afford Coke's the expensive one. But uh, let's go through. Let's go through and see a couple of uh, celebrities come to Jesus moments they had after severe, severe cocaine addiction. Starting off with Dennis Quaid, interviewed by uh, Megan Kelly, the Ice Queen. You've been pretty open about the fact that you were a cocaine addict. For yeah. A while. Right. How's that affected your life? I grew up in the 60s and the 70s, and there was a completely different attitude about it back then. But, it was you know, legal back then, on. actually. Yeah, but I was basically doing cocaine pretty much on a daily basis during the 80s. Wow. I'd spent many, many uh, a night uh, screaming at God to please take this away from me. I'll never do it again because I've only got an hour before I have to be at work. And uh, at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I would go, that's not so bad. I had a, what I call a white light experience where I saw myself uh, either dead or losing everything that meant anything to me. The old white light experience, the old come to Jesus, the old surrender to a higher power like AA. Let's see what Gary Busey has to say, because it's pretty similar. On Oprah's Oat Network. I discovered cocaine by somebody who came out of the woodwork and brought me a chunk of cocaine this big with my initials on it. Uh -huh. I'd never done it before and I tried it and bam, whoa. I was taken by the addiction. I said a prayer once going to work, a prayer of anger and yelling. Take this away from me. Don't let me think of these people. Take them away. And the next day, I had no desire to call up any of the dealers. It was just gone. Then I relapsed. I OD'd on May the 3rd, 1995. Today's 2013. You do the math. I've been clean for 17, 18, 19 years. The cocaine was my devil that I danced with in my life. The devil's been sent away, and now I dance with nothing but angels. You were in a very serious <laughs> motorcycle accident. What do you remember about it? My bike hit sand and fish sailed, 
and I hit the front brake and flipped over and hit my head on the curb. Split my skull wide open to there, knocked a hole in it that big, and I landed the feet of a police officer. They picked me up, got me on the table, and about two hours later, the surgery was over. And at one time, they had me under 12 layers of drugs and strapped down to a metal table naked in the mental health alert ward because they were going to cuckoo nest me. And that's when I said a prayer in my ability to think. And I felt a white cloak come around me, and I called that cloak faith. And that's what got me out of the hospital two and a half months early. My brain got altered in a way that's not normal. And I have a different way of looking at things and feeling things. And I know how special life is. All right, that was Gary Busey. Gary Busey on his cocaine addiction. Uh, let's see what Robin Williams has to say. Starting with some stand-up and then followed up by 20, 30 years later, his feelings on it after that. The Peruvian marching powder, the devil's dandruff. It's a nice thing, though. Cocaine. Mm, what a wonderful drug. Anything that makes you paranoid and impotent, give me more of that. We're back again. We were discussing cocaine for a brief moment. The sound crapped up, but that's why I'm using Saposa sound. No one wants their tapes back. I wonder why. We're talking about how cocaine basically affects you. There's also something called freebasing. It's not free. It costs you your house. It should be called home basing. Here's a little warning sign if you have a cocaine problem. First of all, if you come home to your house, you have no furniture and your cat's going, I'm out of here, prick. Warning. Number two. If you have this dream where you're doing cocaine in your sleep and you can't fall asleep and you're doing cocaine in your sleep and you can't fall asleep and you wake up and you're doing cocaine, bingo. Number three. If on your tax form it says $50,000 for snacks, mayday. <laughs> you got yourself a cocaine problem, smartass. <laughs> and everybody's doing cocaine. Maybe if Japanese people did cocaine, it'd be like, I don't look at this over How, um... How vividly can you remember falling into the trap in the first place with, with cocaine and alcohol? Because... I don't vividly remember anything from that. <laughs> it's like there is this thing for alcoholics called a blackout, which isn't really a blackout. It's more like sleepwalking with activities. And I believe it's your conscience going into a witness protection program going, you're about to have sex with a hobbit. I've got to go now. Good luck. I'm checking out. I'm leaving the body on, but we're not going to remember anything. Good luck to you. Take care. But do you remember getting into it? Getting into it? No. Was it I remember a gradual that, thing? Or? Yeah, it was very gradual. It was just, and you're off, you know, oh, yes. you're off yeah. and running. And then the alcohol kicked in and decided, and then eventually you realized, I can't, I remember stopping it on my own because I was about to have a son, and I didn't want to be coked up going, hey, dad loves you. Here's a little switch. I'm going to throw up on you. You know, you don't want to be like that. And I had to kind of go, but I did it alone. So that was why it was, you know, 20 years without any help. Of course, there are people who would say, why did you ever need cocaine? You, you're, yeah, it's a bit redundant. You're, you're, as, you're as fast without it as, as, totally. the, as the heaviest cocaine addict would yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, it's that weird thing. But I think I did it because it would, it would actually allow me not to talk. It was like, you know, reverse medication. You know, why they give Ritalin to hyperactive children is that idea of kind of, oh, okay, I don't have to talk to people. It, just, it kind of shuts you down, mm. which is, a, you know, word self-medication. And I've read that your friend uh, John Belushi's death... Uh, yeah. from, from an overdose was that scares you. A, a bit of a rude shock for you. Totally. And that, but, but more importantly, my son. I think that was the beginning of kind of, you know, thinking outside the box of you've got a responsibility and it's more than you. So that was Robin Williams on uh, 
cocaine. Once again, not quite a full-on, you know, come to Jesus wrapped in white light moment, but, uh, you know, he had something to say. So how do we spot a cocaine addict? Let's act, <laughs> let's check in with a psychiatrist, psychologist, psychologist. Let's see what, uh, <laughs> let's get some tips and tricks on how to spot a cocaine addict. Hi, I'm Dr. George Northrup. I'm a psychiatrist and addiction specialist based in Tampa, Florida. Today we're going to discuss how to spot a cocaine addict. Sometimes it's very easy to spot a cocaine addict. If a person's got white powder all over their face, that one's pretty obvious. <laughs> However, that's not usually how this happens. Cocaine addiction and cocaine use are usually done in some sort of secret, especially if they're starting to cause problems. The kinds of things you might notice in a cocaine addict is the behaviors directly related to cocaine. Those types of behaviors include increased talking, increased irritation or irritableness, agitation, um, and anxiety. Changes in sleeping patterns might be evident as well. Uh, so is that lame dipshit talking about how to spot a cocaine addict? You know, if they have white powder on their face, it's probably pretty obvious. So, uh, let's hear from Charlie Sheen in the height of his coke and crack binge. What he thinks about addiction, addiction specialists like that gem of a man we just heard from. What's Charlie Sheen think about what they have to say? I mean, addiction specialists, you've seen them all coming out in the last few I've been months. around them for 22 years. Right. They've and, been lying and, to me for two decades. Right. Well, and we'll yeah. come to that. But the premise of their argument with you is that you're in some kind of denial about this. And actually, you've never really stopped and thought, I've got to sort myself out properly. That if you well, do follow their programs, right. they can work. And lots sure. of people would be watching this saying, it worked for me. And then I can have a life like theirs? I'm going to pass. Really? So, why? Why? Because I'm a winner, and their lives look like they're, you know, ruled by losers. I mean, just to put it in black and white terms, I don't, want, I don't want their lives, and they want mine, but they want to criticize the hell out of it, you know? And now they've, they've run the gamut from, like, okay, he's not loaded, now what? Oh, he's manic. I don't even know what that means. Uh, that, I guess, would imply that there's going to be a crash. I don't know when that's coming, but maybe you can cover it when it does. <laughs> so, uh, I honestly respect what Charlie Sheen was saying during that, uh, I mean, that was, I think that was in the height of his crack and cocaine binge. But I get what he's saying. It's like, why, why do I need to pal around with all these self-pitying addicts that say they have a disease when I'm having fun? It's like, I respect that. I get what he's, where he's coming from. But uh, let's skip to later. After Charlie Sheen is clean, or allegedly clean, although he, they did drug test him, and he did pass a piss test and a mouth swab. So, this is after he's clean, and uh, let's, <laughs> let's see what Charlie has to say to you, uh, you know, about five, six months later. Yes, good morning again, George. And he claims no drugs right now, but we did talk a lot about his past drug use. Charlie Sheen has never been more candid about it and makes no excuses for it. He also shared with us some of what really happened that night last month when he was rushed to the hospital after a drug-filled night with porn stars. hey -o. Your anger and your hate, I think, is coming off as erratic to people. Passion, my passion. 
It's all okay, passion. Your passion yes. is coming off as erratic right. to people. Right. Well, you borrow my brain for five seconds and just be like, dude, can't handle it. Unplug this bastard. Yeah, because it just it fires in a way that is, um, I don't know, maybe not from this particular uh, terrestrial uh, realm. I think some of those things that you're putting out there are making people think something's wrong with you. That's... That's up. To, that has nothing to do with me, really. I mean, they're they're entitled to, I suppose, interpret stuff um, as they must. Some are doctor of. What some are, are saying of? that you're bipolar. Wow. What does that mean? <laughs> I guess that you know you're on two ends of the spectrum. Wow. And then what? What's the cure? Medicine? Make me like them? Not gonna happen. I'm by winning. I win here and I win there. Now what? If I'm bipolar, aren't there moments where a guy like crashes and like in the corner, like, oh my God, it's all my mom's fault. Shut up. Shut up. Stop. Move forward. Once again, I like what Charlie Sheen's laying down. It's like, yeah, I mean, he was banging porn stars and doing a bunch of blow, but uh, you'd be doing that too if you could, right? Uh, next clip from the same interview. Winning. When was the last time you used? Winning. Use, uh, see, I don't use, I use a blender, I use a vacuum cleaner, I use, uh, you know, I, you know, household items. Uh, when was the last time I ingested or took drugs? Yes, when you was the last time a, you took drugs? Such an AA stupid um, expression or term. I don't remember. I do not remember. A week ago, two weeks Maybe ago, a month two ago, days ago. Six weeks, I don't know. I don't know. It was a couple days before the suits rolled in and said, change it, change everything, we're shutting you down. Tell me about the last time you took drugs. You know, the last time I took drugs, um, I probably took more than, than, than anybody could survive. You know? What are um, we talking about? How much? I don't know, man. I was banging seven gram rocks and finishing them because that's how I roll. I have one speed. I have one gear. Go. How so, do you survive that? Because I'm, cause I'm me. Because I'm me. I'm different. I just have a different constitution. I have a different brain. I have a different heart. I have a different, you know, I get tiger blood, man. You don't worry that you're going to die when you take that many drugs? Dying's for fools. But you're Lines only human. Now, there's certain blends I will not, I will not entertain because that's how people go down. I'm, I'm, I'm too smart, too smart to do that. So, you know, I'm sorry for the guys that that happened to. But you know, you should have uh, read the directions before you showed up at the party. You know. So you have, actually have a strategy about how you take your drugs? Um, no, I just have a couple of rules. I don't know if it's a strategy. <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with a strategy there. All right, uh, but no, I. Uh, I'm picking up what he's laying down. Everybody, like, I remember when this was happening in the media, everybody was like, oh my God, Charlie Sheen's off the rails. And yeah, he was. But he doesn't sound that off the rails to me. But uh, doing seven gram rocks like it's no problem is a little off the rails. I think we can agree on that. Are you worried you're going to relapse? No. Why? Because I'm not going to, period, the end. <laughs> But how do you I blinked know? and I blinked and I cured my brain. That's how everybody has the power. Just because everybody, you know, can't is the cancer of happen. Mm -hmm. Can't is the cancer of happen. I can't do it. The Nike slogan doesn't say just try it. Oh, okay, just try it. No, just do it, man. But you love to party. I mean, what's not to love? How do Especially you? Especially when you see how I party, man. It was epic. The run I was on made Sinatra, Flynn, Jagger, Richards, all of them just look like, you know, droopy-eyed, armless children. When you look back at the last time you used drugs, mm -hmm. do you, are you disgusted with yourself? Or do you no, think, how no, could I'm, I have done that? I'm proud of what I've created. It was radical. You're proud of that party moment? Of course. Why wouldn't I be? Drugs? No, I, I, Why would I, you be? 
because I, I, I expose people to magic. I expose them to something they're never otherwise going to see in their boring, normal lives. And I gave that to them. I may forget about them tomorrow, but they'll live with that memory for the rest of their lives. And that's a gift, man. One of the women said that she was afraid she might OD. One of the women who was here. What's that got to do with me? <laughs> What's that got to do with me? Hey! I love the uh, comparison of Mick Jagger and Keith Richards' drug binges to droopy-eyed, armless children and compared to the majesty of Charlie Sheen's drug binge. That's pretty nice. But, uh, you know, then shortly after that, Charlie Sheen does what everybody who just got off of a cocaine binge does. He goes on InfoWars. Almighty, almighty, this is PBR Street Gang. Do you copy? Over. PBR Street Gang is almighty, almighty. I copy. Over. <laughs> well, Charlie Sheen, you haven't uh, been back with us uh, since about a year and a few months ago with your message to President Obama, your 20 minutes with the uh, president that we just re-aired before you uh, joined us. It's uh, great to have you, Charlie. Um, what's it's your take? It's still topical. It's a, it's, a, it's a timeless message. Well, it certainly is. What's your uh, message to uh, President Obama uh, refusing to answer the uh, bullet points uh, that you put down uh, in that key document of the questions surrounding the tragic attacks of 9-11? Well, I would say to, 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 to B.O., uh, like, like, how much faith can I possibly have in you to run this entire country when, when uh, 20 questions from a high school dropout sitcom actor appear to be too much to handle for you and your staff? It's like uh, you've had almost two years to deal with this. I wrote them in one hour, and it's like, you know, sorry, but you, sir, are obviously a, a coward in a cheap suit. And the what? bottom line, Alex, is I'm still here. His schedule is public knowledge. It's, it's rocket science. This is not. Quit hiding. It's embarrassing, dude. Next subject. <laughs> so the uh, question I would have been asking if my co-host wasn't currently suffering from a likely COVID-19 infection. I was going to bring up, like, so what do you think? Is he clean? I know he's pissing clean. You know, yeah, next, you know, like... You could just say that's his personality, but it sounds to me like he's still... You know, I guess he's high on life. We'll just say Charlie's high on life. But that doesn't mean that he did, still doesn't sound smart, put together, despite being absolutely insane. And the 20 questions, or 20 minutes with the president, that uh, he submitted to Obama... I, I don't know if any of you have heard of that, so I'll... Uh, it's 20 minutes long, but I'll just play about a minute or two of it. Clip it out just to give you a little idea, a taste of what Charlie Sheen was asking Obama to do. The questions, Mr. President. The questions. Building 7 ablaze at the moment and apparently getting ready to collapse. Building 7, freefall collapse. Well, no, there's number 7 coming down. The excitement and the fun that people get watching an old building being demolished and they wired very carefully for days and it's a very careful operation. My close-up inspection, uh, there's no evidence of a plane having crashed anywhere near the Pentagon. The only site uh, is the actual uh, site of the building that's crashed in. And as I said, the only pieces left uh, that you can see are, are small enough that you could pick up in your hand. Uh, there are no large uh, tail sections, wing sections, uh, a fuselage, nothing like that anywhere around, which would indicate that the entire plane crashed into the side of the Pentagon. Fire 
firefighters and police describing explosions. A lot of them. This is a secondary explosion. We've got numerous people covered with dust from the secondary explosion. Just floor by floor, it started popping out. It was, like, it was if, if they had detonated. Yeah, you know, detonated. If they were planned to yeah. take down a building. Boom, 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 boom. Looks sort of like the building just demolished. Even if there was no secondary explosives in the building. Kind of like gunfire. You know, bang, 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 bang. And then, and then all of a sudden, three big explosions. Do you know if it was an explosion or if it was a building collapse? To me, it sounded like it. To me, it sounded like an explosion. Chief Albert Turry told me that he tried to get his men out as quickly as he could, but he said that there was another explosion which took place, and then an hour after, there was another explosion in one of the towers here. Good afternoon, Mr. President. I come to you today representing the families of the victims of September 11th as well as millions of my fellow Americans. Hopefully by now you've had a chance to read my letter to you, 20 Minutes with the President, and if not, at least had its contents brought to your attention. We have questions, Mr. President. Lots of questions. We have questions, Mr. President. Lots of questions. But yeah, then uh, right after you did that 20 questions with the president, he goes off the rails, starts doing a bunch of blow, a bunch of crack, and you know, it is what it is. Maybe the pressure got to him. Maybe he was crazy, and anybody that believes what he's saying about 9-11 is crazy. But uh, let's go back to his InfoWars interview, because this is pretty funny. Uh, we did a lot of research for those 20 questions, things like, Mr. President, six of the ten commissioners and most of the lawyers on the 9-11 Commission say that the official story is a lie. Please respond to this. Or, why did Building 7 fall at free fall speed? Please respond to this. But they don't want to respond to it. Yeah, well, I think just, um, I think somebody is running at him right now with a, with a, with a tape recording of what I just spoke and said, they're, they're on to us, man. He's back. We <laughs> thought he was dead. Nice try, fellas. <laughs> nice try, fellas. <laughs> yeah, the the whole interview's uh, a good, almost an hour long, but uh, just clipped a couple gems I liked, a couple, couple little bits that I thought were pretty funny, pretty nice, pretty Charlie Sheen, Sheen on Sheen, that Sheen is glowing. Charlie, it was good to see you a few weeks ago at your home. You are, Likewise. You are Likewise, looking, you, you are looking Likewise. great. You're completely clean, aren't you? 100%. You know, here's your first pee test. Next one goes in your mouth. No, you won't get high. Hey-o. <laughs> oh, next one goes in your mouth. No, you won't get high. You know, it's it's just strafing runs in my underwear before my first cup of coffee because I don't have time for these clowns. I don't have time for their judgment and their stupidity. And, you know, they lay down with their ugly wives in front of their ugly children and just look at their loser lives. And then they look at me and they say, I can't process it. Well, no, and you never will. Stop trying. Just sit back and enjoy the show. Anyway, thought you were just messing with one dude. Sorry. Winning. <laughs> well, Charlie, I mean, I tell you, it is amazing. Blood, baby. Uh, and uh, I just appreciate you coming on today so folks can really hear the, the energized, unleashed um, uh, Charlie Sheen. You wanted to talk about AA because, you know, when I was at your house, I said, man, great job being completely sober and, you know, uh, uh, how important well, it was. But, but, but I can't use the word sober because that's a term from those people. And um, I'm just, I've, I have cleansed myself. I closed my eyes and in a, in a, in a nanosecond I cured myself from this ridiculous model of, of disease and addiction and obsession. It's just, 
it's just the work of sissies. Um, the only thing I'm addicted to right now is winning. You know, uh, the, 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 this uh, this bootleg cult, uh, you know, arrogantly referred to as Alcoholics Anonymous. Is, Alex supports a five percent success rate. My success rate is a hundred percent. Do the math. Take, for instance, its founder, a desperate and, I don't know, broken-down plagiarist, uh, stayed high on acid until the day he died. I can't seem to find that chapter in his silly book of lies. And then, Alex, try to get your mind around this as a, as a fellow warrior deep in the trenches. Um, their entire manifesto is built upon a complete and total surrender, or the concept of complete and total surrender. They urge you to put down your sword and come join the winners. Uh, in 22 years, the only winners I could locate in their toothless warren were either driving a convertible van or living like trolls under some abandoned bridge. Another one of their stupid mottos, Alex, is uh, don't be special, be one of us. Newsflash, I am special, and I will never be one of you. There it is. You sound like Thomas Jefferson. Well, I'm not Thomas Jefferson. He was a pussy. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson verified pussy but uh yeah i mean if my uh co-host who is currently in quarantine was here if he wasn't being quarantined i would i was planning on asking him like what do you think is she nuts from his coke binge is he just on fire and nailing it i do have to say i agree with him on a lot of the bullshit cult aspects of aa and na and all the like like he said it's true five percent success rate not great not too good but uh now i want to move on to not just all the celebrities getting hooked on cocaine and regular people getting hooked on cocaine but where the cocaine came from because it was outlawed in 1914 i believe or 1912, and yet around the late 60s through the late 80s, it just flooded in, and it's still in. It's not as big as heroin is now, but it's it's here. And so uh, what might have been the cause of that? Here's 60 Minutes CBS. This investigative report on the CIA's involvement in drug trafficking. A ton of cocaine, pure cocaine worth hundreds of millions, is smuggled into the United States. Sound familiar? Not the way this ton of cocaine got here. According to what the former head of the Drug Enforcement Administration told Mike Wallace, this drug shipment got here courtesy of what he calls drug trafficking by the CIA in partnership with the Venezuelan National Guard. And what reason did the CIA have for promoting this drug smuggling? Well, the only rationale that's ever been offered is that this would lead to some valuable drug intelligence about the uh, Colombian cartels. The CIA and the Guardia Nacional wanted to let cocaine go on into the traffic without doing anything. They wanted to let it come up to the United States, no surveillance, no nothing. In other words, you weren't going to stop them in Miami or Houston or wherever. Uh, these drugs were simply going to go to the United States and then go into the traffic and eventually reach, reach the streets. That's what they wanted to do, yes. And we had very, very lengthy discussions where I told them what the U.S. law was and the fact that we could not do this. So here you got Jim Campbell, chief of station, who knows about this. Mark McFarland, CIA officer, knows about this. And are stimulating this, this business of sending 
when our uncontrolled deliveries of drugs, smuggling drugs into the United States, right? Right. Mm, back when uh, cable news was a little more subtle with their propaganda, they would actually, uh, they weren't as controlled. You know, 60 Minutes would even talk about how the CIA is pushing cocaine on the citizens and making a profit to fund arms deals. But uh, here's a little background that's a little more fun, a little more upbeat, and uh, kind of just touches on a bunch of subjects regarding the uh, CIA cocaine trafficking real quick. As Oliver North's public battle over government secrets and the illegal supply of weapons to the Nicaraguan Contras is waged in Washington, congressional investigators in recent months have tried to learn if Mena, Arkansas was an illegal staging area for shipping guns to the U.S.-backed Contra rebels. It all begins in 1982, when this man, Adler Berryman Seal, showed up in Mena, Arkansas. He used to smuggle drugs, then he got caught and he became one of the government's most valuable informants in the war against cocaine. But last night in Louisiana, Barry Seal's enemies caught up with him and killed him. 17-year-old Kevin Ives and 16-year-old Don Henry were struck by a train. The medical examiner has said that the boys were asleep and drugged with marijuana. The parents, however, disputed that claim. The boys were killed because they had stumbled upon a large shipment of drugs dropped from an airplane. Tears in the fabric indicate that Don had been stabbed before he was run over by the train. In light of this new evidence, the grand jury changed this ruling from probable homicide to definite homicide. I'm scared of these people. I'm very scared of them. How you think the crack drop gets into the country? We don't own any planes. We don't own no ships. We are not the people who are flying and floating that shit in here. I will tell you, Director Deutsch, as a former Los Angeles police narcotics detective, that the agency has dealt drugs throughout this country for a long time. The men who were working for the CIA's army were responsible for bringing all that cocaine into Los Angeles that sparked the crack epidemic. My boss goes on a fishing trip with George Bush, and when they come back, they say the ends justify the means. That last guy talking there, Rick Ross... It's a nice little lead into what he was doing. Here's a trailer for a documentary about him called Crack in the System. You know how they say that everybody has a purpose in life? Well, at one time I felt that selling cocaine was my purpose. We were starving, just looking for a way to, to succeed. The first time I seen rock cocaine was 1980. Murder rate was sky high. South of the 10 freeway was kind of a no man's land. So, you know, we're selling it to the blacks. So you go to these neighborhoods, you, there's no cops, you can sell it where you want, and when they start killing each other, nobody cares. I was going through like a million dollars worth of drugs just about every day. That's like gold. We can make a fortune. He was maybe the biggest guy in LA. Rick, Rick. Freeway Rick. Freeway Rick was getting his dope from a very big operator. I think we're into something that's bigger than us, something we really can't deal with. They had been trafficking on behalf of the United States government. She could prove what she was saying. The story was mind-boggling. When I was young, let me tell you how it was when I come from. As I've said before, no drug network will remain alive. 
there's a lot of people who think that, you know, I made that whole thing up. What they don't realize is the CIA admitted it. See, I didn't know until I was sitting in prison how valuable an education was. Yeah, drugs suck. Drugs are really bad. But the drug war is worse. You want to know a version of hell? Be the only guy playing straight in a dirty card game. And that's what the drug war is. There are more people in prisons and jails today just for drug offenses than were incarcerated for all reasons in 1980. Me being here is defying all odds. People don't get federal life sentences and beat them. We've been spending billions and billions and billions of dollars every year on this war on drugs to find out that the government was involved. That's pretty astonishing. Crack in the system. This is Los Angeles. Even if the government just turned a blind eye and didn't do anything about it, then you have to start questioning the whole system. So Rick Ross, or Freeway Ricky Ross, was making hundreds of millions of dollars selling cocaine, selling crack cocaine on the West Coast, mainly L.A. And then he gets arrested. And to get a plea deal, he rats out his supplier. Well, the supplier comes in, flashes his CIA badge in court, and gets off because he's like, I'm working for the CIA, this is a top-secret operation. So Rick Ross gets life in prison, fights it, appeals it, gets out. But, uh... It's just kind of interesting that um, where most of the crack and most of the coke was coming from, this guy was getting supplied by CIA agents and didn't even realize it. And then the guys that are supplying it to him get off. No problem. But uh, here's a podcast with Rick Ross. Not the rapper. Now remember, the, the rapper Rick Ross stole his name from the actual Rick Ross, Freeway Ricky Ross, who's that crack in the system documentary is about. But uh, here's a little clip from a podcast where Rick Ross is being interviewed. Back to your situation, the Iran-Contra scandal. What was going through your mind with all of that stuff? When you looked up and you saw all of that dope coming in, you knew you was moving it, but then you knew you was being entangled with a whole bunch of crazy people. Well, I really didn't know about them until I started trial. Uh. I didn't know, you know, I thought that, that I was a rebel against the government. You know, I didn't mm. know that I was doing what the government wanted me to do. How did I didn't know Ronald Reagan and, and George Bush was tied, and Oliver North was tied into that. You know, how would I know? I was a kid out of South Central LA. When did I ever think I'd be tied in with the CIA and the White House? Never. When I woke up that morning, one morning I wake up, and a dude is knocking on my door, saying, man, the CIA director is in the newspaper talking about you. I couldn't believe it. Hmm. And then the next day, uh, Bill Clinton is talking about me. I'm like, wow. What was going through your mind when you seeing that taking place? You got the president and the head of the CIA with your name in their mouth. Unbelievable. And then they even topped that. You know, the CIA director comes down to South Central LA to address a panel of, uh, of people that want, want answers. You know, mm. they, they want answers and they come down there, man. So imagine being Rick Ross. You thought you were dealing crack, dealing coke. You find out you were actually working for the CIA unbeknownst. And now you got Bill Clinton, Ronald Reagan, George Bush, and the CIA all talking about you. 
if you see the documentary, you can see my crime me giving the blues. Cause mm -hmm. you know we finna get. I think they come down. He come down that either that Saturday or that Sunday, and then we going to court Tuesday to get sentenced. Mm -hmm. And uh, he sends one report to the courts that uh, the CIA had no involvement mm -hmm. with cocaine. But then when he talks to this panel, he's saying that the investigation is continuing. Mm -hmm. And if they're going to get a full report, well, you know, my crime, he gave it to him about that. Yeah. So, um, it all was exciting, you know what yeah. I'm saying? And, 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 you know, it's been an amazing ride. Mm-hmm. Reporter Gary Well, him coming in and helping out. Well, you know, uh, Gary was, was, wow, Gary was a tremendous dude. So you might not know who Gary Webb is. He was an investigative journalist. And he was helping expose the CIA's cocaine connections with the cartel, flooding the cocaine into the West Coast and the East Coast. And what happened to Gary Webb? On December 10th, 2004, investigative journalist Gary Webb was found shot in his apartment. No! You lying! No. When? Saturday. Oh, man. Well, he used to tell me that, that, that he would come home at night and there'd be guys, you know, climbing up the pole and late at night, 12 and 1 o'clock, and, and, you know, at, at nighttime. And people following him around. Everywhere he goes, he has, he has cars telling him, and his phone was tapped. And he was just saying that they, they, they were, they were kind of like giving him the blues. You know, a lot of things were going on that, 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 that he didn't really like. And he said it was the government, too. By the way, the head of the DEA, his name is Rob Bonner, who's a friend of mine uh, throughout the first George Bush administration, said, documented that yes, the, the CIA was involved with the importation of a fair amount of cocaine uh, with regard to the Iran-Contra, etc. But it just has to happen because of the money. We understand what you're saying. A ton of cocaine was smuggled into the United States of America. Well, they... In cooperation with the CIA? That's what... That's exactly what appears to have happened. So what did Rick Ross do after he's out of, he beats the charge? He doesn't have to serve his whole life sentence. What does he do? Same thing anybody does right after they get off a long bender. They go on InfoWars. <laughs> While I was in custody, you know, we're going to trial the guy who. Uh, it's fortuitous that Ricky's on right now because. Uh, I made sure to clip it right when he does the. Uh, Alex's little thing that he does right before he says something important. He goes. It's fortuitous that Ricky's on right now because they're trying to put him back in jail or going around and doing radio interviews. He's been told, don't do radio interviews anymore. Don't be politically involved. Don't talk about CIA drug dealing. Uh, don't try to put community organizations together. Uh, or we're going to spin that and put you back in prison. So he's facing that after decades in prison. He was the biggest uh, narcotics trafficker in West Coast history. And Gary Webb's Pulitzer Prize winning piece, Dark Alliance, exposed. It was for the CIA. And, of course, Gary then was planning to come on my show soon. He had his new book coming out. And uh, they shot him twice in the head and killed him, and it was ruled a suicide. And now Ricky joins us as a free man for now 
Uh, and uh, Ricky, uh, we appreciate you having the courage to, to, to come on this radio show today. Well, you know, Alex, you give me the courage. Uh, when I see people like you do what you do, it gives me the courage to stand up and do what I know that I'm supposed to do. Well, you do have a lot of courage, and I'm not going to sit here and judge you for a man who, uh, you know, saw prohibition of narcotics as a way to make uh, hundreds of millions of dollars. But the larger crime is the people that made them illegal to create the giant black market. Now, here you are all these years later. Geraldo Rivera goes to Iraq. They admit the troops are growing the opium, giving them the fertilizer and shipping it out. Now they can't hide it. They just admit it. Uh, they now admit Sinaloa cartel on the U.S.-Mexico border ships in tens of tons a month for five years, totally authorized. And then the ATF ships them guns. Goes back before Obama. Uh, they're not getting in trouble. But we're told you're the bad man, and now they're trying to throw you back in the slammer. So Ricky Ross, old freeway Ricky Ross is running around doing interviews, but they're still trying to throw him back in jail. There's tons of interviews that you can find about this. Um, but I just like the Alex Jones one, you know, it's like kind of like Charlie Sheen. It's like that dude is unleashed. Tiger blood, baby. He can say whatever he wants on the Alex Jones show as long as he doesn't cuss because it's on terrestrial radio, AM and FM stations and local television. Well, here's a little final. While I was in custody, you know, we're going to trial. The guy who introduced me to drugs testified against me. And then we found out that he was working for not only the DEA, but also the CIA. So he basically didn't do any time in jail. He, he got caught uh, uh, with, I think, 10 tons of, of cocaine or something like that there. I'm, I'm not sure the exact numbers, but much, much larger than, than, than mine because he sold not only to me, but other guys in other parts of the country as well. So Gary Webb, the guy that Alex and Rick Ross have been talking about, is the guy that busted this whole thing wide open, at least on a mainstream level. And like Alex said, he got shot in the head twice. It was ruled a suicide. Or I guess, technically I should say, he shot himself in the head twice. It was ruled a suicide. So, uh, because of Gary Webb's big exposure of this, people started getting really pissed off. Especially in L.A., where the cocaine and crack epidemic was huge. It got so bad that the head of the CIA at the time had to come to L.A. and try to talk everybody down. Here's how that went. How could this be possible? And we read through the documents, and then that's when Gary Webb started explaining it to us, and we was like, everything came together now. One of the most paramount moments, perhaps caused by Gary Webb's Dark Alliance, took place in November of 1996. It was a monumental historic event. I mean, the director of the Central Intelligence Agency was coming to Watts to face the people. Now, we all know that the U.S. government and the CIA supported the Contras in their efforts to overthrow the Sandinista government in Nicaragua in the middle 80s. Now, it is alleged the CIA also helped the Contras raise money for arms by introducing crack cocaine into California. Deutsch felt he had to do something to try to uh, deal with the outrage that was foaming all over the country at the time. And of course, it just blew up in his face. CIA fights drugs. CIA does not encourage drugs. Well, I mean, it was, it was actually one of the most monumental blunders of all time, uh, if you think about it. We have no evidence of a conspiracy by the CIA to engage in encouraging drug traffickers in Nicaragua or elsewhere in Latin America. Deutsch was there because of the Gary Webb stories. The Gary Webb stories had sparked a national furor. I would like to have Richie Ross's 
uh, brother to speak, please. The United States government turned their head and let this cocaine come into the United States of America. Allow Gary Webb to have full access. This whole thing is orchestrated. It was near pandemonium. It was about, I guess, 1,200 people in standing room only in the auditorium. 2,000 people outside listening on loudspeakers. And uh, it was very hard to keep control. I got called on finally, and I said to her very clearly, I was talking, looking right at Deutsch. I am a former Los Angeles police narcotics detective, and I work South Central Los Angeles, and I will tell you, Director Deutsch, that the agency has dealt drugs throughout this country for a long time. <laughs> Director Deutsch, I will refer you to three specific agency operations known as Amadeus, Pegasus, and Watchtower. I have Watchtower documents heavily redacted by the agency. I was personally exposed to CIA operations and recruited by CIA personnel who attempted to recruit me in the late 70s to become involved in protecting agency drug operations in this country. He stumbled and stammered and wrung his hands. If you have information about CIA illegal activity in drugs, you should immediately bring that information to wherever you want, but let me suggest three places. The Los Angeles Police Department. And of course my response was, I started there 18 years ago, sir, and they tried to kill me. Now what do you want me to do? <laughs> so that's just a good recap so far of... Uh, Freeway Ricky Ross, old Rick Ross, and everything that was going on there. But what about, he was just on the receiving end of it. So let's talk about who was on the delivery side, and that's a guy named Barry Seal. They actually made a movie about it called American Made, where Tom Cruise plays Barry Seal. And uh, I don't know if you've, anybody's seen the documentary Cocaine Cowboys, but uh, when they remade it in Cocaine Cowboys Reloaded, they interview a couple of smugglers that were smuggling millions and millions of dollars worth of cocaine, and they had a little bit to say about Barry Seal. We were working with Barry Seal. He was another group. Barry had been a TWA pilot and a Vietnam War pilot before that. Barry was, out of everybody, the best pilot that I ever saw in my life. And he drifted into the Colombian cartel market as a delivery specialist and got himself involved in guns, money, and drugs through flights in and out of Managua, Nicaragua, where he enjoyed the protection of president of Nicaragua. Barry Seal had the most incredible operation I'd ever seen. I'm not a drug smuggler. I say prove it. Barry was fearless. You know, 1,000, 1,500 kilos of coke was like a joke to him, and it was not a problem. Barry worked out of Louisiana. He'd work on the drop of a hat. He didn't care. He'd get in his plane and he'd go down there and he'd throw a thousand kilos on the plane and he'd come back to Louisiana. He landed at a regular airport. He had a warehouse. They had ramps in the back that would open up and you could drive vehicles into them. You could put tons on these vehicles. Barry got busted on a load and didn't tell anybody. So Barry Seal, you know, he's he's a guy. He's got connections. You know, he's working on it. He's just, you know, he's just a regular guy with the modified huge jetliner airplane smuggling in a couple hundred million dollars worth of cocaine. No big deal. No big deal. You know, um, he's working out of Mena, Arkansas. He's got a whole private airport there. It just so happens Bill Clinton's the governor at the time. No biggie. No biggie. You know. And, uh, it's, you know, I don't even, 
honestly, nobody should really look into it further. It's just uh, all one big coincidence, right? He cut himself a deal as a federal confidential informant. They would let him go, and they would install cameras on the inside of his plane, and they wanted him to film no, an actual loading, bring the coke no back problem. here, and the film back here. And he agreed to do this. The Army brought in the uh, truckloads, the duffel bags full of cocaine, and they were loaded on board the aircraft by the Cuban and Sandinista soldiers. And he had some great shots. Barry Seal was able to snap pictures during the mission of a leading international cocaine trafficker, Sandinista government official, soldiers loading cocaine onto the plane. The top Nicaraguan government officials are deeply involved in drug trafficking. And on national TV, President Reagan held up this picture and said, here's Pablo Escobar loading a plane with cocaine. This picture, secretly taken at a military airfield outside Managua, shows Federico Vaughn, a top aide to one of the nine commandantes who rule Nicaragua, loading an aircraft with illegal narcotics bound for the United States. The pictures were produced by Barry Seal. He has thus become the key witness in South Florida's most important drug case. She also told the President's Commission on Organized Crime how easy it is to smuggle cocaine. My initial experience was with marijuana, but I soon moved into cocaine because of its ease in handling and its profit structure. So Barry Seal becomes an informant, but they still let him keep flooding in the country with coke. He's openly working with the CIA. You have multiple CIA agents admitting that Barry Seal's working with the CIA. If they're uh, using Barry Seal to rat these guys out, why don't they just have him bring the coke back? Why do they keep letting him run it over and over and again and and uh, just spread it throughout the country? If they're really in the height of the Reagan administration trying to stop the war on drugs. Just like, we gotta stop the flow of cocaine. Yeah, right. Today's indictment charged Seal with conspiracy to possess and distribute 462 pounds of cocaine with a street value estimated at $168 million. In return yeah, so for Seal's cooperation, the Justice doing, Department will allow him to plead guilty to the charges in today's indictment and receive what amounts to a slap on the wrist. I've reached exactly the uh, type of settlement that I wanted to reach. Whether they're happy or not, you'll have to ask them. And despite numerous pleas, that judge in Louisiana refused to drop a six-month house arrest order, which was a meaningless, totally meaningless order in the scheme of things. It was speculated that this judge knew, or should have known, that by publicly ordering where this man had to show up and at what time he had to show up and leave, he was issuing a death warrant for him, and, and certainly that's what happened. So then you got a couple guys that were working alongside Barry Seal. One of them recorded a flight on one of the coke runs with the guy that uh, was Bill Clinton, governor of Arkansas at the time, security detail. I was his co-pilot on this particular mission. Uh, our passengers were a uh, R. Young of the Arkansas National Guard and an M. Harari who represented interests of, the, of Panama and was... Uh, referred to as Ambassador Harari. M. Harari was actually Mike Harari, a Mossad agent. Oh, During the flight, always pops up uh, too. I had That's installed nice. a recorder, a cassette tape recorder that recorded all conversations on board the aircraft. We did uh, activate that recorder during the flight. Uh, the p personnel in the back of the aircraft talking on our private intercom uh, did not know that what they were saying was not private. 
In the conversation between Mr. Harari and Mr. Young, uh, Mr. Young was asking Mr. Harari basically uh, what's going on here. Uh, but he says Arkansas has the capability to manufacture anything in the area of weapons and if we don't have it, we'll get it. Harari said in return, how about government controls? Well, Young then came in and said the governor's on top of it and if the feds get nosy, we hear about it and make a call. Then they're called off. We credit top dollar for the product. Still looking confused, Buddy, Buddy was still looking confused and Mike continued. Look, one gun and 3,000 rounds of ammo is $1,200. A kilo of product is about $1,000. We credit the Contras $1,500 for every kilo. That's top dollar for a kilo of cocaine down here. It's equivalent to the American's Kmart special. Buy four, get one free. On our side, we spend $1,200 for a kilo and sell it for 12000 to 15000 Now that's a profit center. And the market is much greater for the product than for the weapons. It's just good business sense, understand? Harari, the Mossad agent, said in return, it's good when it works, but someone, how is, how is, how do you say, uh, has his hand in the coffer? Buddy responding on the defenses. Defensive, well, we get our 10% right off the top, and that's plenty. Goofus can make it go a long way. Harari responded to that. Who is Goofus? <laughs> Governor Clinton. That's our pet word for him. You know, they call the president POTUS for president of the United States. Well, we call Clinton Goofus for governor of the United States. He thinks he is, anyhow. Ah, uh, hell, Mike. Everybody knows that Clinton's, Clinton wants that White House and will do anything to get it. That's why I'm here instead of someone else. We know about the cocaine. Hell, I've picked it up before with Lassiter when he was worried about going on to Little Rock Air Base to get it. Young said this, answering uh, Harari's question about uh, what's going on in Arkansas. Clinton thinks he's in charge, but he'll only go as far as Casey allows. That's a taped conversation between Mike Harari and Buddy Young. Buddy Young was the security chief for Governor Clinton of Arkansas. Hmm, so it uh, seems like if you believe these testimonies and recorded conversations that Bill Clinton knew about it, but uh, what did George H.W. Bush know about it, considering he was the head of the CIA for the whole Iran-Contra and all this? Or I guess he was vice president for Iran-Contra, head of the CIA for the, a lot of the time this was going on, all this drug smuggling. Um, here's a guy from the embassy, DEA agent, talking about what Bush Sr. knew. George Bush Sr. came to Guatemala on January 13, 1986. And he approached me and asked me what I did uh, there at the uh, U.S. Embassy, what my job description was, and I told him I was a DEA agent working uh, uh, international narcotics investigations, and I told him, look, you know, we have gathered intelligence that the contracts are involving drug trafficking down in El Salvador. And then he just smiled, shook my hand, and, and walked away from me. And it was then and there that I knew that my government knew that these atrocities were occurring. So it's not just hype that the Bushes and the Clintons are one big cabal all in and on everything together. I mean, uh, they're the Pablo Escobars of America, essentially. And uh, here's Bill Clinton on... Uh, here's Bill Clinton in the presidential debates. This is Bill Clinton talking about drugs when he was up for re-election. And it's totally not edited at all. I did not edit this one at all. Totally not edited. Mr. President, uh, the Senator mentioned drugs. He's said, he's suggested in the past that you are 
you bear some responsibility for the rise in drug use of teenagers in the United States. Is he right? Well, Jim, I believe that the federal government should give people cocaine with marijuana. Let me tell you what I've tried to do about it. I appointed a four-star general who led our efforts south of the border to keep drugs coming into the country as our nation's drugs are. The most heavily directed, uh, decorated soldier in uniform when he retired. We submitted the biggest drug budget ever. We have dramatically increased casual drug use. The tragedy is that our young people cut cocaine use, and I regret it. I want to stop it from coming across the border. And in my administration, we're going to train the National Guard to stop it from coming across the border. And I won't comment on other things that have happened in your administration or your past about drugs. Let me say again, my family has suffered from drug abuse. I know what it's like, cocaine use, casual drug use. I don't think this issue should be politicized because my record is clear, and I don't think Senator Old supports youth using drugs. I think we just have to continue using drugs, cocaine with marijuana. Okay, that one might have been a little bit edited, but you can... <laughs> you get the idea. So, uh, so what happened to Barry Sue? He was an informant. He was being protected by the DEA. He was working for the CIA. He was working with the FBI as an informant. I mean, this guy's got connections. So what what happened to the dude? Well, uh, it was not quite as bad as Gary Webb, but pretty close. Bill Duncan and I interviewed Barry Seal less than two months before he was killed. Uh, and uh, he was served with a subpoena at that time. He was under subpoena to come to Arkansas and testify for the grand jury here when he was killed. Apparently, somebody in Arkansas wanted Seal dead because he was murdered before he could show up for that grand jury investigation. Very little is known about the distribution method that Seal had. We do know that one lumber truck from Mina was busted going to Kansas City. It had a lumber facade on the back. When you lifted the lumber up, there was a load of cocaine same driver drove the same route time and time again well the owner of the lumber company was very close to bill clinton governor clinton buddy bean they were never allowed to do a thorough investigation the whole thing just uh, went down the tubes barry seal's death conveniently prevented the grand jury from finding out who else was involved in the arkansas drug smuggling operation the media while focusing on the colombians failed to recognize that Seal's testimony would have caused far more damage to his American associates. So conveniently, right before the grand jury gets to question him, Barry Seal just ups and gets killed. But, you know, I guess, uh, I guess that's how it goes. The start of the Clinton body count, ladies and gentlemen. And what was happening in Mena, Arkansas? Bill Clinton was still the governor while Barry Seal was doing all his crazy crap. Well, the investigation kept getting blocked. The assassination of Barry Seal would prove to be only the first step in shutting down Welsh and Duncan's investigation entirely. We continued to uh, pursue the investigation, but during this time period, the investigative process was becoming very difficult and we weren't able to get uh, uh, access to certain kinds of information that we wanted through subpoenas, certain kind of witnesses. Suddenly, we couldn't get subpoenas. How do you investigate out of a grand jury without subpoenas? How do you go to financial institutions and get records? You can't. 
therefore you can't investigate. You cannot follow the money trail. One um, deputy foreman of the grand jury uh, came forward and, and said that uh, the U.S. attorney was stonewalling, that he was trying to keep them from doing their job uh, with respect to the main airport investigation. You have witnesses in Fort Smith, Arkansas that said they overheard the assistant, one of the assistant U.S. attorneys up there say that they were told to kill the main investigation, that they were told to leave the main investigation alone, that they had indictments ready and they were told to drop them. Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. Here's a case where two top-notch investigators are trying to do their jobs and didn't know why the federal government was interfering with their attempts to put a stop to the blatant narcotics trafficking activity of Seal and his associates at MENA. During the 1992 Attorney General's race in Arkansas, either Betsy Wright or a member of Clinton's staff had approached Winston Bryant and had asked him to stay away from the MENA investigation. After um, Winston took office, Bill told me that uh, he was no longer allowed to discuss um, the mean airport investigation from um, the Attorney General's office. Clinton's interest in keeping a lid on the MENA affair intensified after announcing his candidacy for president. In March of 1992, the Attorney General's office was instructed by members of Clinton's staff to remove all files pertaining to MENA after it was learned that several newspapers were planning to file Freedom of Information Act requests as part of their investigations of Governor Clinton. So this just barely uh, touches on not even 2% of all the proof of the CIA and Fed's involvement in not just gun smuggling, but cocaine importing. But uh, just to give you one little last clip to leave on to think about, this is just from a couple years ago, where a CIA plane crashed and it was carrying four t -t -t tons of cocaine. A Gulfstream jet that crash-landed in Mexico in late September bearing a load of nearly four tons of cocaine was used by the CIA for trips between the U.S. and Guantanamo Bay. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. I speak as a, uh, a retired uh, international covert operative for the Drug Enforcement Administration. Uh, what we're uncovering here through the hard and courageous work of journalist Bill Conroy is something nobody... Central Intelligence, FBI, they don't want this out there. They don't want anybody peeking under the rugs that Mark is talking about, about this plane crash carrying four tons of cocaine. Any kind of corruption you could imagine occurs. And when you talk about four tons of cocaine coming into the, into the United States uh, with the involvement of a man who worked as, as a, a pilot for CIA, DEA, and FBI, who was obviously somebody who was a shaker and a mover. So uh, I guess that's all I got for today, basically. I was hoping on a lot more back and forth where I would present a clip and present my idea, my arguments for it, but I really just ended up playing clips because uh, my co-host seems like he has coronavirus, the Wuhan flu, the Kung flu, COVID-19. He's in quarantine. Um, 
I wish him well. Um, but I mean, at this point, you know, if he doesn't make it through, I'll need a new co-host. Um, so, uh, Thoughts and prayers and, and shit, I guess. But uh, if you're hearing this right now, that probably means he's dead. Because um, once he's ready to record again, I'm just going to redo this episode with him. That way I have a back and forth and my ideas can be challenged a little bit. I'm not just kind of talking to myself like some kind of crazy moron. But uh, yeah, so like I said, if you're hearing this right now... Um, my co-host is dead, officially. And, uh, R.I.P. I'll send some flowers or some shit. So, uh, I hope you're all doing well in the quarantine. I hope, uh, hope you all like this completely sober, no alcohol or narcotics involved Little ditty I did with Ephraim Road Trip, where we had no plan, but just uh, started erratically playing drums and guitar. I was on drums. I did a very piss-poor job. And sadly, I was totally sober, so I have no excuse for how bad I did. If only I had been coked up and drunk, I would have an excuse, but I don't have an excuse because I was... Totally sober. But his guitar player is real good in this, so you'll probably like that. Anyway, y'all take care. Um, keep fighting the Wung, the kook. Keep fighting the Wung Fu Hong Ha Ha. Everybody wants Kung Flu fighting. Stay safe. Don't shake any hands unless they're white hands. Don't shake any Asian hands, I'll put it that way. Hey -o.
Oh, not to worry. I've got some cocaine right here. Ah, okay. You think cocaine is a problem, but I've done it for 32 years. See, I am part of a group of responsible cocaine users. Okay, so, uh, now that we have confirmed you're still alive. Yep. From the, uh, coronavirus. It's a close call. It was a close call. Um, before you give me your thoughts on how I did with my solo podcast about cocaine, uh, let's hear your story of what the hell happened. He's still coughing, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my god, yep. still he got coughing. that cough and that. Uh, he wouldn't even wear a breath. face mask when he came in. Nah, fuck that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, fill me in on what's going on. All right. So what happened was I got the uh, got. I'm pretty sure it's the COVID. Now. I will say I have no way of verifying this because they are basically blocking all testing. Um, at least in Tennessee. At least in Tennessee, that's what it seems like. But I'm, I mean, we're getting reports basically just just on the internet, just reading uh, uh, anecdotes of people having the same problem all over the U.S. and all over um, the world. All over the world, really. Yeah. Um, also, I've noticed uh, I've seen some reports of some test kits coming from China that are actually giving uh, wildly inaccurate results, but. Um, I can't get my hands on even a uh, biased Chinese test kit. Uh, <laughs> um, but I was getting basically all the symptoms. Um, the body aches, the fever. was basically had a strong fever for two days, unable to move almost. Um, you know, runny nose, shortness of breath, the coughing. Um, and the body aches were crazy too. But uh, went to my doctor. He basically had me give him my symptoms, and he was like, wow, it kind of sounds like, you know. I mean, he made this face that looked like uh, he seemed like it sounded like COVID. Um, gave me a flu test, sucked those swabs deep in my nostrils, made my eyes water. Um, that came back negative. He asked me if I had been traveling lately or been in contact with anyone who had been traveling and also tested positive verifiably for COVID-19. And I said, you know, no. And he said, well, I'm sorry, I can't give you a test. Um, I then looked up places that might be giving free tests, called another clinic in another county. They said they couldn't give me one because I wasn't based out of their county. I called my county's health department, and they told me, uh, they put me on a waiting list to talk to an epidemiologist. I did that, and no test. Uh, you have to have been traveling or in contact with someone. Basically, I talked to my my doctor and I was, you know, mentioning how this seemed kind of like it was kind of, you know, going to wield, you know, or yield uh, inaccurate results um, nationwide when it came to lethality rates and things like that. And he said, yep, they're basically just trying to catch up with the first round of infections in the U.S. basically right now through testing. I mean, even Trump uh, recently said that they don't want everyone to be tested. Um, so that's my report when it comes to COVID-19. Um, you know. But the moral of the story is you're still alive. Still alive. I don't have to find a new co-host. Oh, no. It was only two days. It's, yeah. it's not a bad sickness. But that's why you weren't here last Wednesday when Absolutely. we recorded the cocaine 100%. episode. 100%. So, so this is basically just a recap of the cocaine episode. And now that we know you're still alive and we know that the government's lying about how lethal COVID-19 <laughs> is so that they can crash the economy, uh, what were your thoughts on the cocaine episode? Solid. 
I liked your uh, collection of clips there. I learned a lot. I did not know so many things about the Iran-Contra and all the uh, cocaine shipment into the U.S. And Freeway Ricky Ross. Free, yeah, I, I'd heard a little bit about him and that, and that kind of story there. I got some details beforehand, but I did, I did learn quite a bit. You did a good job, man. Yeah, the main problem I thought was since I had nobody to talk to, like what right. should have been a three-hour podcast was really just an hour and 20 exactly. minutes of me talking every now and again and playing clips most of the time. Right. But right. I just didn't want to redo it since like not the standard format, but you know, it'll do for right now. Yeah. And also it's just like, and now that I've already done it, it's like, I would have to basically make those same arguments again and repeat myself. And it it's just wouldn't be it. as genuine. Even if I was doing it with you, you know, it just right. would feel weird having right. to do basically re recreate it. Right. So, uh, so yeah, but I do have uh, two more clips that I left out from the last one. All right, let's listen I told to you them. About. Uh, these are about uh, kind of Mena, Arkansas, Barry Seal, that whole thing. It was here at Rich Mountain Aviation that authorities believed Barry Seal moved his operation. Terry Capehart owned a business at the Mena Airport, and he remembers when he first met Barry Seal in 1981. Of course, I didn't know who Barry Seal was. I'd never heard of the man. He didn't suspect anything until the Polk County Sheriff called him in with some troubling information. I came uh, in possession of some information that indicated some aircraft being serviced and stored on the uh, airport here was being used in an illegal international operation. Capehart then began noticing some alterations to Barry Seal's aircraft that he says are common to drug smugglers. That I seen myself uh, Freddie and Dwayne Hill, which was an employee of Rich Mountain Aviation, changed the end number on one of the airplanes. A former employee of Rich Mountain Aviation also saw unusual modifications and was given far-fetched reasons for them. What Joe had told me that it was going to be used to transport porpoises on. And he, the other guy just kind of looked at Joe and said, that's a good one. Well, Former Sheriff Hadaway says he had plenty of evidence to prove a conspiracy, but in 1984, Seal became an informant for the Federal Drug Enforcement Agency. It was then that the sheriff was told to halt his investigation into Seal and Rich Mountain Aviation. With this information, the former sheriff sought a court order to confiscate the plane in June of 1984. Everything was lined up, but then he received a telephone call from a drug enforcement agency supervisor from Miami named Robert Jara. He finally disclosed to me and asked me not to uh, confiscate the airplane, told me that if I did, that I would just be ordered to give it back to him, that in fact the DEA did have a large financial interest in the aircraft. At this point, Hadaway's investigation into Barry Seal's drug smuggling activities at Rich Mountain Aviation came to a screeching halt. Hadaway's run-in with the DEA would have gone unnoticed, except for an April 1987 broadcast on CBS's West 57th Street called The CIA Connection, Drugs for Guns. Do you really believe the government decided to get into the drug business in order to pay for the contract? The American government. Uh, as as it may sound, I believe that not only decided to get into it, I think they orchestrated the whole thing. Russell Welch, criminal investigator for the Arkansas State Police. Did Barry Seal ever say to you, I work for the CIA? He said he was working, had worked for the CIA. Unit 5 has learned in the early 1980s, even before his arrest, Seal had bought one of his planes from a CIA front, Air America. 
The plane was used by SEAL for drug smuggling, and the CIA company was paid in the traditional drug dealer fashion of $300,000 in cash. According to this confidential FBI teletype obtained by Unit 5, one of SEAL's associates said he was maintaining SEAL's aircraft at the MENA airport for the CIA. And some of them have told you they're part of a CIA operation. Yes, it didn't seem to be too much of a secret. So it's pretty crazy that that was on CBS News. It's crazy that they were able to expose all that, or well, at least tie all the dots together. You yeah. Know, make all the connections. Especially on CBS News, because you look at CBS News today, and it literally is the CIA broadcasting system. Right, and the fact that they're allowed to broadcast that back then. I mean, that would that would never fly today. Never, ever, ever. I think it was what pretty else? thorough... Uh, a thorough collection of uh, clips there and, uh, and you know as for the whole I mean I know it started with just like kind of like TMZ style celebrity gossip about celebrities using cocaine but by the time I got to the end of the episode I feel like I, pr- I painted a decent picture I feel like you did as well I mean it's pretty uh pretty overarching you know both celebrities and then the, the government even getting involved in cocaine trade and export it's pretty wild that all that stuff was happening and and who was connected to it and the fact that it didn't get uncovered for so long. Yeah. It's, um, the whole story is pretty fun. I think we nailed down pretty much the whole, uh, it's not as much it's like MK ultra. The first one we did, I felt like we could come back to this like 10 more times and still have more to talk about. Of course. For the I mean, cocaine one, I feel like this is about all there is. Yeah, just about. I mean, like you kind of hit, checked every box when it comes to cocaine. I mean, there's not much more to talk about when it comes to, I mean, uh, any other major area or aspect of cocaine that you haven't hit. Yeah, because there's just not that many theories on a topic like that. But uh, right. But yeah, I guess uh, next one's going to be Biden versus Trump. So that'll be fun. Caleb's in on that one. We already recorded the intro for it. So yeah, and. Excited. Uh, Yeah, should be good. And we will see you guys next episode. Next episode. On the next episode. On the next episode. Next episode. On the next episode. Next episode.